Welcome to Sermons from St. Paul's Lutheran Church of Minot, North Dakota. St. Paul's is anchored in the message of Christ crucified for the forgiveness of sins, for the church and for the world. The following sermon is from Rev. Dr. Matthew Richard. In the name of Jesus, amen. Today, my friends, is Ash Wednesday, which means it is the first day of the season of Lent. More precisely, at the heart of Ash Wednesday is the theme of repentance. That is, sorrow, regret, a gritting of the teeth against our sin, that sin that we all possess. It could be also said that the season of Lent is an extended period of time. It is a time of pause, a time of reflection. It is a time for you and me to consider our place before God Almighty. With this in mind tonight, there is no better way to consider our place before Almighty God than to contemplate God's holy, his perfect, and divine will for us as expressed in the Ten Commandments. Yes, over the next six weeks, we'll be considering these Ten Commandments, these ten words that we read about in the book of Exodus. Now, as we examine these Ten Commandments, we will not only be instructed on what is good and true and right and salutary for our lives, but we will also, I remind you, we will also be convicted of sin. You see, as we contemplate the Ten Commandments, as we gaze into God's holy and perfect will, we will realize how we sin and how we fall short. However, as we realize how we sin in thought, word, and deed, we do so knowing that we are traveling somewhere during the season of Lent, and that traveling is to the cross of Calvary, that bloody cross where Christ is slaughtered, slaughtered on that cross for you, And for me, indeed, where our sins on that cross find their home not on us, but in the Christ who is for us. Therefore, by considering the extent of our sin problem during this Lent season, it only makes the good news of Holy Week, the good news of Easter, sweeter still. So to begin this six-part series on the Ten Commandments, we're focusing on the first and the second commandment this evening. Those two commandments, which are summarized like this, one, you are to have no other gods, and two, you are not to take the name of God in vain. Now, as we examine these two commandments a little more precisely, a little more closely, what we find at work within these two commandments is something called idolatry, not adultery with an A, but idolatry with an I. That is right, when we look at the first two commandments, the theme of idolatry emerges and comes forth. But there's a problem. When it comes to the idea of idolatry, we often think about idolatry in the sense of primitive people 
who gather around idols, that is, carved stone images or things made out of wood, where they bow down and worship these wooden and stone idols. And with this in our mind, we think to ourselves that idolatry does not apply to us. After all, we are so-called enlightened individuals. Now, while idolatry is indeed worshiping stone or wood, a stone or wood idol, we need to be on guard from oversimplifying this idea of idolatry. In other words, we need to be aware that even though we do not bow to wood and stone idols, we still commit the sin of idolatry as 21st century Americans. Martin Luther teaches us about this. Luther says in the large catechism that idolatry does not necessarily consist of making an image and worshiping it, but he states and he shares that idolatry is primarily a matter of the heart. You see, when our heart and our heart and our mind gaze upon things other than God for help and comfort, we're actually committing idolatry. When our eyes are easily turned away from the creator to created things, we make created things into an alternative God. Tragically, you and I, we commit the sin of idolatry with whatever our heart clings to, whatever our heart relies upon as our ultimate security. So I ask you this day, this evening, what is your idol today? What do you trust? What do you believe and desire good things from? What do you fear? What do you love? And what do you trust the most? The answer to that will reveal your idol. Perhaps the biggest idol in our lives as Americans is that which is closest to us. See, I'm not referring to a false God that we've created or even to the way that we treat money, sex, and power and how we transform money, sex, and power into gods that we worship, but rather I'm referring to something much, much closer, something that we all fear and love and trust, and that is the idol of self. That is the idol of self. Dear friends, it is like this. What we Americans fear and what we love and what we trust more than anything else is that unholy, yes, that unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. My idol is Matt Richard. Your idol is you. Indeed, has not the self become the idolatrous creator and healer and sustainer for us as modern Americans? To confirm this, One only has to look at the self-absorption and the self-love demonstrated in the media. In fact, our fascination with ourselves is no different in the church. David Wells once said this, that the American church is trying to hold at bay the gnats of small sins while swallowing the huge camel of self. In other words, we're pretty good as Christians to nitpick all those small sins that are committed by other people in the church. We, we actually hone right in to the failures of others in the church with fussy fault-finding while simultaneously propping ourselves up. Yes, we seek out the smallest infraction in others, and then we demand that everyone else worship us. 
The idol of me, myself, and I reign supreme. Dear friends, the painful reality is that we are fascinated with ourselves. As the old hymn states, we're prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave that the God, to leave the God that I love. You see, we wander back to ourselves and our own projects. We fear and love and trust our inner piety, our, our inner projects, our inner life, our legacies, our abilities, our opinions, and we can go on and on and on. We are addicted to the idol of self. We are an idol unto ourselves. Besides the obvious sin of idolatry of self, there's a catch-22 to idolatry, and that catch is this. The idol of self does not sustain us, and it does not work. You see, the idol of self is frankly powerless. For example, if the idol of self is the source and meaning in our lives, how do you and I cope and survive with the pressures of fulfilling a meaningful life? There's more. How does the idol of self deal with the insurmountable weight of taking the place of God? If we worship ourselves and we're caved inward on ourselves, it is all up to us. And how do we cope with such pressure of trying to be God? You see, when we fear and we love and we trust in ourselves, what happens is we fall apart. Indeed, life beats us up. And guilt plagues us. And the idol of self cannot stand. It is clear that you and I, my friends, are not designed to take the place of God. It is clear that the idol of self is a one-way street. It is a dead end. Like the idols of the Old Testament that we read about many times in the Old Testament, who have mouths but do not speak, who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear, the idol of self is empty, it is incomplete, it is powerless, it is futile, it is insufficient for hope and everlasting life. Take a moment to consider the story of the golden calf in the book of Exodus. Briefly in Exodus 32, the Israelites, they made a golden calf out of gold jewelry. And what is rather ironic is that their building of this golden calf is contrasted with the building of God's tabernacle, a tent in the later portion of the book of Exodus. To the point, my friends, though, the Israelites are making an idol. Indeed, they're trying to make an idol while God had already made preparations to provide for them already. That is the same with you and me. Whether we uphold a golden calf or the idol of self, we're seeking to create something that God has already provided for us. The ironic implication is that mankind forfeits God himself with the hopes of creating golden calves and idols of self, when the Lord God is right there to give himself to mankind, we turn from God. We have it our way. We do our own idols. Dear baptized saints, amid America's self-absorbed idol of self, tonight we hear that the cross stands Tonight we hear that the cross stands for us. 
You see, you and I, we attempt to create and sustain and worship ourselves so that we can feel complete, so we can feel whole and right. But the gospel, the Lord's gospel, says that you are already complete, has chosen and set apart a royal priesthood of believers in Christ. You see, you and I, we attempt to climb these metaphoric ladders to fulfill our moral and mystical and intellectual needs all the while where God, he comes down to you in the waters of your baptism, in his word, in his body and blood given to you, marking you with the cross, feeding you with forgiveness and pronouncing that all is finished. You and I, we, we attempt, we mistakenly attempt to love to get love as we try to love to get love, but God's gospel word speaks to you that you get to love because he first loved you. You and I, we attempt to prop ourselves up so that we might live. The Lord, though, he meets you with the cross that crucifies you so that you actually may live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for you. You and I, we try to establish the perfect image through the idolatry of self. God, though, he presents to you his perfect icon and his perfect image, Jesus Christ, the one that you're clothed in. God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. You who have ears, hear this, though. In Christ, the idol of self finds its end. Indeed, in Jesus Christ, the idol of self finds its end. You see, there's no need for the idol of self. You've been given Christ, the one who came among us to put on our sin, to put it to death. In Christ, you are baptized, dear friends. You have worth in Christ. You have identity in Christ. You have meaning in Christ. You have hope in Christ. You have belonging in Christ. Your life is found not in a powerless wooden or stone object called self. For the idol of self died in the living Son of God who bled and died for you. Amen. So this evening, we fear and we love and we trust in Jesus because he is our deliverance. He is your sustainer. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, especially the sins of idolatry. God be praised for Jesus this evening, for Christ each day. In the name of Jesus, amen. strong word bespeaks us righteous bright with thine own holiness thank you for listening to today's podcast sermon you can access a full manuscript of today's sermon from pastor matthew richard's blog at www.pastormatrichard.org or visit saint paul's website at www.stpaulsminot.org The Lord bless and keep you.